I hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, Pastor Chad is out this morning. Um, so I wasn't even paying attention to the time. And there's an echo or something, Nick, here. So, um, but welcome this morning. I'm going to start with a few announcements. Um, don't forget that this is the end of the month, which means that we have some things coming up. The youth, middle school and high school, are going to the Unite uh, Conference this weekend on um, Friday and Saturday. See Pastor Chad for that information. I mean, like I said, he's not here, but you will have the information before that time. I believe they are going to eat beforehand on Friday at Jam and Jay's Pizza and then go to the, the conference that night. Saturday morning, the 6th, or the 5th, excuse me, the 5th, right, is the uh, breakfast, Baptist Men's Sponsored Breakfast, Community Breakfast, All You Can Eat. Um, we encourage you to come and enjoy that. Um, and then Sunday is our Women's Day, where the women will be sharing about uh, missions and about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't forget that the 13th, the following Sunday, we change time. We spring forward which means that your body is going to be dragging, but we ask you to be here. Um, if, if you come to Sunday school and don't stay for church, don't do anything, okay? Come to Sunday school. You'll be here in time for church, okay? But uh, don't forget all the announcements are in the bulletin. I know the WMU have a meeting coming up later this month as well as some other things going on. Um, so just check the bulletin, check our website, check Facebook, everything will be there. But thank you for coming. If you're visiting with us, please take an opportunity to fill out a visitor's card and, and place it in our offering box outside the door as you leave. We would greatly appreciate it. Now at this time, if you would please join me in prayer as we begin our time together. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we come before you seeking your face. Dear Lord, there are so many things going on at this point that we need this time where we can come together with like-minded people to be encouraged. But at the same time, dear Lord, we need this time just to worship you. And we ask that for this short time that you would take all of the concerns of this life, everything that is going on around the world, and you just block it from our mind so that we can fully focus on you right now. Dear Lord, we ask as we gather to worship that you, we will see miracles done. And we will see hearts and lives change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give you all the honor and glory for everything this morning. And we ask that you will receive a blessing from it. Bless us today 
And it's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Hang on, I'm not done yet. Go ahead and change that slide, Trey. Everybody is aware of what's going over, on over in Ukraine. That Russia is attacking, they are invading the country. What you may not know is that North Carolina Baptist had a partnership with the Ukrainian Baptist churches from 1994 until 2000. They were our sister churches. And many of those people that were involved in those churches are now hurting. And so what we are asking you to do is North Carolina Baptist on Mission is, is providing relief efforts and providing food, providing um, shelter, providing um, necessities of life for these people in Ukraine. If you feel led by God, just place an offering envelope in, the, in the, uh, our offering box. Make it out. You can make it out to Crestview. There's also Baptist on Mission envelopes in the, in the rain relief on it. And we will get it to the Baptist on Mission so that we can reach out and help the people of Ukraine. Everybody has seen, I'm sure by now, the picture of the groups, the group of people there in Ukraine gathered together in a circle, holding hands and praying. Please remember to pray for these people. Pray for God's protection. Pray for wisdom that we would know what to do and when to do it. But above all, if God is leading you to give, please give through the North Carolina Mission's effort to provide relief. Thank you. You know, God has called us together to worship together, to encourage and lift one another up. So let us stand as we sing hymn number 379, the first and the fourth verses. Brethren, we have met to worship. Let us stand. Thank you. 
here, please? I'm not as young as Chad, so I'm not going to try to get down, squat down on the floor. I'm going to sit. How are you guys? It's been a long time since I've done one of these. Betsy just ran out of her shoe. <laughs> guys, Pastor Chad is sick. But we've got people that are going to be Miss Laura and Miss Laura are going to help with children's church. But he says that you guys are going to be talking about what would Jesus do? So I want to talk to you about that. It became very cliche. Do you guys know what that word means, cliche? It means that people just did it all the time, and it got to the point where it didn't mean anything. But it used to be that people would, would say, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I want to challenge you guys that as you grow, there are going to be times that you really need to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Now, Teddy, if Charlie's playing with a toy and you want it, and you go hit him, and you want to hit Charlie to take the toy away from him, would Jesus do that? No. no he wouldn't. If you're taking a test at school, how many people take tests at school? Even if you're homeschooled, how many people take tests? Okay. And you get to a question you don't know the answer to. And you're tempted to look over at the person sitting next to you and see what they put down on the, the, for their answer? That's called cheating. Would Jesus do that? Yeah. No. He wouldn't. Or if you're in a store and you see a piece of candy there at the aisle as your mommy's checking out with groceries and you ask her if you can have some candy and she says no, and you look, and there's nobody watching, and you start to reach over and grab that candy and put it in your pocket. What's that called? Stealing. Stealing. Would Jesus do that? Yeah. Now, if somebody made you, made you mad, and you, it really upsets you, but you loved them anyway, and you forgave them for making you mad, would Jesus do that? Yes. He would. See, the Apostle Paul, and you guys all know who the Apostle Paul is? The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament in the Bible. He wrote most of those books. He says to the church in Corinth, he writes them a letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Follow my example. As I follow the example of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I'm following the example of Jesus. So I can be an example for you. So that's what I challenge you guys with today. Is that you follow the example of Jesus so you can be the example for other people. Okay? 
Now, we're going to pray, and after we pray, you guys are going to go to the back, and you're going to go over to this side today, okay? And you're going to line up over here on this side. But let me pray for you guys right now, okay? Dear Lord, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for these children, dear Lord, that have gathered around here today to listen to what it means to follow the example of Christ. I pray for them, and I pray for the, those that are leading them that would teach them exactly what Jesus would do and the importance of following his example. Bless them this morning. And we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Okay, guys, line up back there with Miss Laura. I would like to remind all the ladies that we will have choir practice Wednesday night. So any lady out there, I've got your number. <laughs> we'll call you Wednesday night and remind you to come on out. Um, have you had one of those days recently? <laughs> Most of us have. If not, your day's coming. You remember the little cartoons where you had the devil on one side and the angel on the other side and this one saying, do this. And this one said, no, no, don't do that. Do this instead. <laughs> well, in life, you've got the devil over here and you've got Jesus over here. And that devil on those days that you have, the devil's trying his best to get you to throw that towel in. And God is over here and he said, don't you do it. I got you. God's got you. So God is saying, don't give up. Don't throw that towel in. You're going to make it because God is carrying us and leading us through no matter what your situation. We win.
Thank you, choir. <laughs> you know something? As they were singing, I started thinking, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God promises that he's going to take care of us and that we're going to make it. From the time that Adam and Eve sinned, and we see the per first prophecy, the first promise of a Messiah up until the dragon is put into the pit for all eternity. And new Jerusalem comes down. And God takes, or Jesus takes his throne. The promise is still the same. God says you're going to make it. And that is the hope of salvation. So thank you again, choir, for reminding us of that. Over the last several weeks, I have been preaching about Christian unity. And today is no different. But today is a different in the fact that I'm going to talk about an aspect of unity that a lot of churches shy away from now. And that is accountability. Christian unity and accountability. You see, many times in our society today, and, and this part has creeped into churches as well, is that there is no accountability if someone does something, it's always someone else's problem. Somebody else's fault. If a, I remember when I was in school, and if, if I got in trouble at school, and my parents got called, and I went to the, and they came to the school, who was the one that got fussed at? Me. Who was the one that had problems sitting down that night for supper? Me. But nowadays, if a child gets in trouble at school and they have to call the parent, who's the one that gets fussed at? The, the teacher, the principal, because there's no accountability. Well, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Acts. And this past Wednesday night, we went through, we started a chapter 8 or 15 of Acts. And it says there in the church in Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were, their home church. It says certain men from Judea came down and started preaching to the church that unless you were circumcised and following the law of Moses, you could not be saved. Well, Paul and Barnabas, and thankfully the entire church there at Antioch, held those people, those men accountable for what they were teaching. Because Paul, through all of his ministry up to that point, had been preaching, even Peter, is that salvation was through Christ alone. Jesus himself said, I came not to destroy the law, but to what? Complete it. 
And they preached that Jesus Christ was the only way of salvation. That the law, the Paul himself in previous chapter in one of his sermons actually said that Jesus did what the law could not. The law could not set us free, but Jesus set us free. So those men were held accountable for what they said, what they were teaching. They were held accountable for it. And we're going to look at Scripture at what place accountability has within the unity of the church or Christian unity. So if you would turn to Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16 as our key uh, scripture today. And it's going to be in your bulletin as well as on the screen. If you would stand as I read this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, says this. This is what Paul writes. He says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing one with another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you sh- should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, thank you for what Paul writes in these verses about what part accountability plays in Christian unity. May we all be unified through the cross of Jesus. And may we all hold each other accountable because of the love of Christ. Bless the reading of your word. And it is in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. You see, accountability is the part of Christian unity that we struggle with. In fact, I have actually heard it said within the church. What right do we have to say anything about somebody's sin or somebody's life? What right do we have? And and see, here's here's the thing. And we're going to talk about this too. But to some people, or most people, even our society as a whole, and even in our churches, people see accountability as being the same thing as judging. And we're going to talk about that. Because they're two very different things. We are commanded, in verse 16, we are commanded to teach and admonish brothers and sisters in Christ or hold others accountable. Okay, this is what I want you to understand. We are not talking about lost people. We are talking here about people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. And look what it says there in verse 16. 
Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts of God. You see this word admonish. The Greek word that is translated admonish, it literally means to caution, to warn or reprove gently. If we see another Christian heading in the wrong direction, we must warn them. That's what that word means. Now you think about it this way. We are commanded to teach, to make disciples by teaching them to obey everything that God has taught or Jesus has commanded, right? Isn't that part of the Great Commission? Here again, Paul tells us that we are to teach and admonish. Say this, if, if you guys remember being in school, and some of you are still in school, their teacher teaches you something. I remember sitting in classroom and taking a test over what the teacher's test, and she would be walking around the classroom looking at people's papers. You know, and she'd stop and she'd say, um, are you sure that you're doing it right? And then she'd keep walking. And I'm like, why don't you just tell me what they... But it would get you to stay. You'd stop and you would look at it. Why was she doing that? Why did she do that? Because she was goshing in us. She saw me doing it wrong. And she warned me I was doing it wrong. And she gently reproved me to let me know I was doing it wrong. She had taught me how to do it right. And she wanted me to remember what she had taught me. We are commanded to do that same thing. But like I said, in our society and in churches today, people have taken judging and accountability as being the same thing. That we can't hold people accountable because we're seen as being judgmental. But accountability and judging are different in motive and method. And we're going to look at that. The motive and method of judging. Let's look at here. Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. And this is where people say all the time, don't judge. What right do you have to judge me? This is where they're getting this from. But I want you to look at what it's actually talking about here. Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, the motive behind judging 
someone is to punish them or to make ourselves feel superior. Do you guys realize that? That when we are judging somebody, our motives are not appropriate. We're judging them to punish them. We're setting ourselves up and we're looking at someone's action as if we are the judge, jury, and executioner. We are proclaiming guilt on them. Many times ignoring what we've done wrong. The method of judging tends to ignore our own sins while comparing others to our standards. And it says that in the scripture, look, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your, own, your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? We measure people by our own standards. If you are just not like me and don't measure up to what I think you should be doing, then you're guilty. That's what judging others does. We apply our own standards. But we seem to do exactly what Jesus is saying here, is we forget what we've done. We forget our own sin. We ignore it in order to place our guilt on someone else. And Jesus calls it out. Jesus actually says, you hypocrites. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, take care of your own issues. Take care of the log that is in your eye. So what? What do you do when you, can do, when you take care of that log in your own eye? You can more clearly see to help your brother. You take care of your, yourself first so that you can then help the other person. But we can forget that. But people get caught up on that judging. So anytime something is said about somebody else's life and the direction they're heading in, anytime something's said of that, we're labeled as being judgmental. But the motive and method of accountability... Let's look at it. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you do not, or that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burden and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The motive of accountability is always, there is one purpose behind accountability, and it always is restoration. To restore that person to the will of God. To restore that person to unity, to fellowship. Does it say that if we see somebody else, if we're being spiritual and we see someone else that's stumbling, that's troubled, that's sinning, 
that we just keep our mouth shut and just keep going? Is that what that verse says? It says what? Restore them. If any one of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. The method of accountability is love, gentleness, and using God's Word and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the standard. Galatians 6.1, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. And then Galatians 3.12-16 are key verses. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then this verse is not in there, but it's the same verse that I used for children, the children's sermon. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The King James Version, I believe, says... Be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying do what I say, not what I do. He's saying in what Jesus did. You see, we're commanded to hold each other accountable. Not by our own standards, but by the standards set forth by Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. That we're supposed to do it with love and gentleness and patience for the purpose of restoring that person. So what is the ultimate purpose of accountability? The purpose of accountability is to maintain the Christian unity of the church. Not by making us all the same. I want you to understand that. Accountability is not making us all think the same, walk the same, dress the same. It is not that. That's not the purpose because look what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also in Christ. We are all different. We can all, every single one of us, read the, the same Bible verse, the same passage in Scripture, and every single one of us would get something different out of it. Because God speaks to us individually. He speaks to us where we are in our walk, where we are in life. And to each one, it would mean something different. But it maintains the unity by keeping us focused on our Savior and making disciples. <clears throat> you guys heard the saying that what is <clears throat> allowed in one generation will be celebrated in the next. You guys ever heard that? Church, we're seeing that before our own eyes. when our morality is dictated by musicians, actors, directors, athletic stars, their stuff is not based on Scripture. And that is infiltrating the church. And we've been so afraid of of upsetting people that we've allowed things to come into the church. Celeste asked me to look at this church out in California and I, I, was, I looked them up and I said, is this the right church? And she says, yes. And I said, this is what they're really doing? They are bringing mysticism, Hinduism into their church and they're promoting and teaching how to do these different aspects. How to release this spirit that turns out to be a Hindu demon from you so that you can reach a higher consciousness. Guys, that's crazy. That is, that is crazy. The purpose of meditation and, and, and that sort of thing in Eastern philosophy is to empty oneself, which is very different than when it talks about meditation in the Bible. Because what does it say that you are to meditate on in Scripture? The Word of God. In other words, you're not emptying yourself, but you're filling yourself with the Word of God. And you're dwelling on that Word and you're going over it and over it in your mind, feeling, filling yourself and, and, and trying to get as, hear as much as you possibly can from God. But because we've been so upset or so scared of turning somebody off or hurting somebody or, 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 
or, or driving them away or ostracizing them, that we have allowed things to come into our church. And now we're in a position that within our Christian churches, lies are being taught. Lies are being taught about salvation, just as Paul dealt with in Acts with the, these men coming in and saying you, that Jesus Christ is not enough. You must also do this. You must be circumcised. You must follow the law of Moses. When we add anything, anything to salvation, we say that you have to do this in addition to Christ. We are making the gospel into a lie. We are undermining the very foundation of Christianity. What we are saying is that Jesus is not enough. And I find that nowhere in Scripture. Everywhere you read in Scripture, everywhere you read, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through who? Me. Big M. Me. Jesus alone is salvation. But the reason that we must hold each other accountable is because it keeps us focused. It keeps the unity of the church not making us all the same, but it keeps us from being undermined. It keeps us focused on our Savior and it keeps us focused on our command of making disciples. Philippians 3, verses 13 through 16. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, yet but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Church, we are called to be different. We are called, we are called a, per, a peculiar priesthood. We are different because of Jesus Christ. I have shared the fact that when I got saved, it was almost like there was an immediate wall put up. I didn't do it. My friends didn't do it. But I was no longer the same person that went running around with those guys. There was an immediate wall put up, and we all felt the difference. I wasn't comfortable going out and doing the same thing. They weren't comfortable around me because they, did, they wanted to go do the same thing, and I didn't feel right going and doing those things anymore. There was that wall that was made different through the Holy Spirit. And there has been many times in my walk that I have been called out. I have been held accountable by people in my life. 
Some of them had been very gentle. Some, some of them were very humbling. Some have come almost as a tax. So we have to be careful how we hold each other accountable. But church, we cannot allow sin to come into our churches. We cannot allow false teaching just for the sake of not turning people off come into our church. We have to stand on the word of God. We have to hold to that standard of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I've had to go to people and apologize to them. And tell them I was sorry because I was holding them to my standard. And not necessarily God's standard. Because I didn't think they were doing enough to grow. So I, I went to them and I said, you got to stop this. And then I had to go back and apologize because they weren't doing what I wanted them to do. It's not about what I want you to do. It's about what God wants to do in you and through you. He is your Lord and Savior. He is your Master. Now, if I see something going on in the church, then I have the obligation to say something about it. If I see a, a, somewhere where someone is not, they're, they're, they're heading in the wrong direction, or they're, especially if they're teaching something, that is heading in the wrong direction. I am obligated as the pastor of the church, as the one called by God to lead this church, I am obligated to say something about it. And sometimes I'm like Paul. How it comes out is not necessarily the nicest way sometimes. And I apologize for that. But church, we are to be, hold each other accountable. If we cannot hold each other accountable, we are undermining the, uh, the, the, the unity of Christ that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Church. It is one of the most difficult things that we do as Christians. But it is also one of the most necessary things that we do as Christians. We must hold to the standard set forth by Jesus Christ in order to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in order to maintain our fulfillment of the Great Commission. Don't think that you don't have the right to say something. If you do it in the right method or mode or motive, if you do it for the right reason, the reason of restoration, and you do it in gentleness and love, using the Scripture and Jesus Christ as the standard, you are doing it right. 
if you're doing it for any other reason than that, and any other method than that, you are not doing it correctly. And you will cause more harm than good. Now, I've had people mad at me because I said I couldn't allow someone to serve in a particular position because of something in their lives. I stick by those decisions because they were scriptural. Not telling them they can't come to church because they need to be here. But we must hold each other accountable. Through love. Because ultimately, what we want is for every single person that claims to be know Jesus Christ as their Savior to be the best disciple that they can possibly be. To make disciples. To follow Him 100%. Now church, this is your opportunity right now. To listen to what God's telling you to do. If he's telling you, hey, you're not where you need to be. Now is the time to get that taken care of. If he's telling you that you need to go talk to somebody, ask for forgiveness. Or talk to somebody and say, hey, we need to talk about this. This is your opportunity to do it. If you need to come and just kneel at the altar and pray, this is your time. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, do it now. Don't leave this place without being responsive to what God is calling you to do. As we sing this song. Would you stand as we sing hymn number 571, Let Others See Jesus in You. 571. Jesus in you, in you, let 
for being here today. Don't forget um, Wednesday night Bible study. Going through Acts. Going to pick up where we left off um, in chapter 15 here in the sanctuary at 6.30. Youth and children, 6.30 in the, in the uh, youth room. Middle school, high school students, Unite Conference Friday night and Saturday. And then breakfast Saturday morning, women's day Sunday morning, time change coming up. A lot of things gearing up. And then, can you believe it's the end of February already? That Tuesday is the first day of March. And then April is Easter. Be in prayer as you leave this day. Be in prayer for the, the Ukrainian people and, and everything that's going on there. Pray for our country, our leaders, and wisdom to do what is right. Not convenient, but right. And most of all, as you leave this place, let others see Jesus in you. Thank you for being here. And I'm going to ask Joe McCurry as our deacon of the week if he would dismiss us in prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we heard in your word that in the beginning there was darkness, no light. And you said, let there be light. And there was light. Jesus, your son, came into the world and said, I am the light of the world. And Lord, he told us we need to be the light of the world. And Lord, as we listen to the news and we hear the wars and rumors of wars that Jesus said would come in the end times, we see the Bible fulfilling itself every day. And Lord, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Our Father, we want to be that light. We want to be able to go out into the world and let others see Jesus in us. And Lord, it just seems like the world is growing darker and darker and darker. And it truly needs the light. It needs the light of Jesus. And we need to tell people, when Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. And it's his name we pray. Amen.